Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from his sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things." Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I rubbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I'm James, if you, if you don't know me. Um, a member here at Jubilee. And I get wheeled out every now and again um, to preach. Um, and uh, it reminded me a bit of, um, in my church back at home, there was an elder who would preach once or twice a year um, when, my, when my dad let him have the space when we went on holiday. And, and he preached his own series, okay? It was, um, I seem to remember, it was some obscure book in the Old Testament, and, and this series had been going on for about 10 years. So, um, and I have my series, it seems, okay? I, my series is all about Paul, and... Um, and I remember last, last time I preached, it, it was along the same lines of, of Paul talking about himself, which he find, we'll see, he finds very, very embarrassing. Um, so what I want to do is I want to pray. Um, we'll look at this passage. There, there's some bits that we need to pull out of it, um, and hopefully we can apply it in our lives going forward. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, um, thank you for being with us this morning. Um, thank you for that time of worship. Lord God, I pray that by your spirit you would help me to um, deliver what I think you've laid on my heart. Lord God, I pray that um, that same spirit would um, open up the hearts of all of us, that we'd be challenged. Lord, that we'd be motivated and equipped to 
Um, do great works for your kingdom, Lord God, as we go out this week. Amen. Right, so we've heard in the last few weeks that Paul, um, by this point, he's a real seasoned campaigner. He's been all over Greece, all over um, that area, preaching the gospel and building up churches all around. Um, And we've seen that actually there's still a role for him, even after he leaves these churches behind. So, um, you know, he's set up this church in Corinth, but some things are going a little bit wrong, and that's why he's writing this letter to kind of um, straighten them up and send them in the right direction. Now we're going to split this passage up into three, um, because that's what preachers do, and it, and it makes it easier for us to understand the, these three sections. Um, and the first thing we're going to look at, um, verses 1 to 5, um, is we're going to look at um, what's actually going wrong. Because Paul is going to do something in the second part of this scripture that he finds really, really embarrassing. Okay? He finds it very, very difficult to do. What Paul's going to do is he's going to boast. He's going to boast in himself and the works that he's been doing. Um, and he feels really, really uncomfortable about it. So if you would bear with me in a little foolishness, do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as, pure, as a pure virgin to Christ. Um, so I thought to illustrate this, I'd, I'd get a picture of the proudest man I possibly could think of. Okay? Um, so the proudest man that I could think of was Usain Bolt. Um, now, remember when he was at his prime, you know, when he was winning three gold medals every single Olympics, he'd stand there and he'd go, you know, they'd say, what's his secret? And he'd say, oh, it's chicken nuggets. Just I eat loads and loads of chicken nuggets. There was nothing that could touch him. Okay, extremely proud. Now, he's messed up my illustration a bit this last few weeks, okay? Um, poor guy. But I want you to imagine, if, if interviewed now, would he go, maybe those chicken nuggets weren't the right thing, okay? Maybe it was too much for me. Um, maybe I wasn't quite at my prime. Of course he wouldn't. He's the proudest man I can possibly think of. The sponsors would maybe drop him. Um, he wouldn't be as attractive to companies to employ. So extremely proud and very, very difficult to admit his shortcomings. Whereas Paul's a good guy, um, he's a good, humble man, and it's very, very difficult for him to sing his own praise. But his hand is forced. He feels so strongly about this church in Corinth. He's got this divine jealousy. This jealousy that he feels for this church in Corinth is the same word, the same kind of jealousy that God feels for um, Israel. Okay, So that same jealousy that God, um, God said in the Old Testament, you know, when, when Moses went up to the mountain and he got those tablets of stone, the first time that God had given those rock-solid instructions to his people, and Moses came down the mountain after spending time with God, and there the Israelites were worshipping that golden calf. God was furious. He was jealous. Okay? That calf was melted down and ground to dust, and the Levites had to, um, had to discipline the people. God talks about this jealousy in the Old Testament by using marriage as an example. So he says, And I will betroth you to me forever. In Hosea. No one in their right mind, if they were engaged to someone, if they were betrothed, would want to see their other half go in another direction with another person. To, to leave what they'd been promised 
and just to go away. And that's what Paul is describing here. He's jealous for their purity. This church, he wants to present this church like a father would a bride to Christ. Okay. So the question has to be then, for him to feel this jealous, for him to be justifying himself in what's going to come in the next point about his, his boasts, what on earth have they been taught, these, these people in Corinth? From verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit to the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So who are these people? Well, these people were definitely coming into Corinth. They were visitors. Just as Paul was a missionary and went into Corinth and um, preached the gospel to them, these people were traveling into Corinth. Um, and they were Jewish. Um, if you look down in your Bibles or your, your iPhone or whatever you've got in front of you, if you skip down to verse 22, they were definitely Jewish, these preachers. Um, commentators think that they were Palestinian Jews, and they'd kind of had a link to the church in Jerusalem. So they were really attractive to the to the Greeks because they had these credentials. Um, there's an absence here of any kind of Jewishness being added to the gospel. So we'll see that you can see it in other um, other parts in the New Testament where um, false teachers tried to make it a bit more Jewish. Uh, so talking about circumcision and that kind of thing, it's not in there. Um, so what most people think is that they're relying really, really heavily on preaching um, Jesus the miracle worker rather than Jesus, the only way to be right with God. Okay? So they were very, very reliant on an overemphasis of the Spirit. Okay? However, Paul says on that point, verse 5, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Paul definitely used the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians 2. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Then in Thessalonians, and this includes all of us, listen to this one. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, that's what Paul said, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. But with Paul... And all the other great teachers then and now, the works of the Spirit were there to validate and never displace the gospel. Okay, that's really, really clear that. Okay, it never displaced Paul preaching Christ crucified for our sins. So challenge number one from this intro bit here. Are you more concerned with the presentation rather than the content sometimes. We try to put on a good show here. We have lights, burning hot lights. Um, you know, PA team, we try our best every week, okay? And, and we, it's smooth this morning, it's great. But we've got to get past that sometimes, okay? We've got to get past that, all right? Paul, as if you want to listen to my other preach last time, okay, was not a fantastic orator, Okay, he was not a fantastic orator, um, but he brought thousands to Christ. 
The Corinthians in this passage were distracted by the presentation of it, okay? By slick presentation. We need to get past that and really focus on what's being said. So let's move on to Paul's boasts then. Um, from verse 6. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Paul's boasts. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin because in humbling, my, in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Verse 8. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, Macedonia supplied my need. Um, so this is Paul's boast. So he's justified why he's going to do it. He finds it embarrassing. What's Paul actually going to go on and boast about here? Um, well, we've seen from 1 Corinthians that they put a massive focus on how well someone spoke. In this passage here, Paul is owning up to his shortcomings. Look, I'm not the best. Okay. But he definitely says, my knowledge is way up there. Okay. Now, for them to be, for them, the way this is written, like Paul would have either clearly demonstrated it to them, so the Corinthians would have been like, yeah, he's, yeah. He's reminded us of that. His knowledge is amazing. Or, actually, it's, he's imparted that knowledge to the Corinthians, and actually, they should recognize it in him. That's the knowledge of Jesus Christ saving them from their sins so they can be right with God. Okay? So they should know that. And Paul goes on to boast. Paul trained as a tent maker, as, as some of you know. Um, when he was a rabbi, he would have been trained up. And that would have been a great craft to have as he was traveling around all these different countries. Being able to, to fix people's tents, to sell them, to support his ministry would have been fantastic. In Jewish tradition, being a manual worker like that was, was brilliant. You know, you're supporting yourself, well done. Um, you know, that, that was really fantastic, but... Paul was not preaching to Jews anymore. He was, he was in Greece. And in Greek tradition, for someone as um, educated as Paul, for anyone of high standing, for anyone that was rich, if you were using manual labor to support yourself, it was demeaning. It wasn't that great at all. Well, why did he do it then? Well, Paul did this because in the first century, if you went to a church or or anywhere really, and they gave you a donation to say thank you for the work that you've done. You were always indebted to them. So Paul was trying to get away from this by supporting himself. Now, it would have got in the way. Imagine trying to build churches and to preach and to go and support people while trying to fix people's tents. It would have got in the way. Um, so we hear about the church in Macedonia in this passage, um, and they literally... Okay, they literally supported him. Okay, so in Acts, you'll see that um, the support came in for Paul to allow him to focus on the work that he was doing. But this word here, robbed, what does that mean? He robbed the church in Macedonia? It's a bit of a weird translation, but it's a really powerful word. Um, it literally means that they gave more than they could. Okay, I've got a friend... Um, in the MOD, and one of the fascinating things I find about the, sorry, the MOD, he's in the TA, 
And one of the fascinating things about the TA is they, you know, he's, he's been out on tour in Afghanistan and things like that. And I've got a great interest in food. And the food that they have is brilliant, okay? The food, when they go out on exercise, looks a bit like this. So you get given a box. There you go. There's 24 hours of food in there. And these are your rations. Um, so you've got some, uh, the foil-wrapped things are kind of dinners that you heat up. You've got a uh, fruit yogurt thingy. Uh, you've got some wipes there. Uh, Lucas A bar, uh, Tabasco sauce, just because it's going to be bland. Um, so you're going to have your Tabasco sauce. Um, but the most important thing for a British fighting soldier is you've got your tea and coffee pack there and boiled sweets all ready to go. So this, this is your, your kind of ration. And, um, and really, this robbed term is a military phrase, okay? So Rupert set me up um, with that link last week. Thank you, Rupert. Um, Paul seems to be using lots of military phrases here that the Greeks would understand. This robbed term literally means to strip bare. So on a battlefield, you would strip that soldier's um, like his, his provisions from him, his weapons. He would be left with nothing, absolutely nothing. This church in Macedonia was sacrificing to support Paul. Paul has obviously been caught up in Corinth with accusations about either what's this guy doing he doesn't charge for his ministry he can't be that good right or earlier on he can't be a proper apostle he's not even professional you know he's he's built making tents so Paul's boasts here are saying basically look I'm doing it for free but I'm supported he's he's just managing to skirt his way around all these accusations that have been made against him because of the support that he's got. Paul was not out to make a trade of preaching the gospel, though. Okay? That's really, really important. Challenge number two here. Graham has preached often about our bank balances reflecting where we are in our Christian walk. Are we a church that is being stripped bare to support the work of ministry. So Paul has justified why he had to make that boast about where his money comes from. Um, Paul has made the boast, and it's quite a challenging one, about where his money came from. Now though, and the bulk of what I'm going to say is, because the title that I was given was discernment, this last bit, Okay, so from verse 12, how do we actually spot these false teachers that are accusing Paul? Excuse me, sorry. Um, let me read this again, because Paul uses some really, really strong language in here about um, Satan's servants, actually. Verse 12, and what I am doing, I will continue to do, preaching for free, supported by the Macedonians, in order to undermine the claim of those who, that would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness their end will correspond to their deeds. 
So to write this message, these paid, skillful and forceful preachers must have been really, really damaging to the church in Corinth. What, what Paul has written there, he has not held back, has he? Okay, he has not held back. They called themselves apostles, but they're merely appearing as such. So this is Paul's warning. They are Satan's servants. Paul calls it how it is. Now, this is one of the only bits in the Bible where um, actually someone describes Satan as actually appearing as an angel of light. Okay, so there are, there are other analogies, but this one's, this one's probably um, drawing on Jewish tradition where th- there were some more writings about what happened after the fall with Adam and Eve. And um, there's this one part where, where Satan comes down um, dressed in angel's clothing, appearing as an angel and comforts Eve. And Eve can't recognize that it's the devil. Um, so some people would have been um, aware of this um, and Paul's referring to it. Um, so if Satan is that good, and he is, at disguising himself, how on earth are we today meant to discern who's a false teacher and who is a servant of God? Uh, we hear from false teachers every single day. On TV, Facebook, the radio, newspapers, even Christian media. Back, you know, back in the olden days, way back when, if you wanted to spread a message that wasn't true, first of all, you'd have to convert a whole bunch of monks. And then you'd have to get them writing for you and you know, putting out leaflets and spreading your word. You might get a following as wide as a town. And then after that, you know, you'd You'd invest in a printing press, and you might get a following as wide as a country. But these days, it's so, so easy to spread messages that are damaging. And what's more, we should expect it. Okay, So biblically, we're told to expect it. So this is what Jesus says in Mark 13. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders. Okay, They will perform signs and wonders. To lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. And then in 2 Peter 2, there will be false teachers among you. But again, as we've seen in Corinthians, these preachers were really good. Really, really good. Slick and fantastic orators. You know, think Barack Obama good. You know, versus some other presidents that might not be as good at talking, okay? Um, and the message was always attractive, always attractive, um, and dramatized by these miraculous signs that they were performing. How can we separate them then? Well, we can test their doctrine, we can test what they're actually preaching, okay? So I hope some of you there, I hope all of you, are sat there now mentally checking over what I'm saying. I hope some of you are following what I'm saying here and testing what I'm saying because I too could fit in this category here. The One of the first things you have to do is test. So in Psalm 119, it says this about the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Um, we're 
we are all the simple. Okay? And what this is saying is if you read your Bible, you will be able to spot when someone is preaching something that is wrong. The Corinthians weren't lining things up. Okay? And we need to, if we cannot discern what people are preaching unless we are reading our Bibles. But often, really, really often, huge shortcomings in what people preach and what people believe are hidden underneath that glossy preaching, underneath that glossy presentation. And in that moment, so as you are sat there now, you will not be able to discern that. You won't be able to pick that up. Jesus says this, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Did you notice what Jesus said twice there? Okay, you will recognize them by their fruits. Nothing in that passage says about the content, the content of what they are actually going to do. Okay? The content of what they're going to preach. So it says, test them by their fruit. To Peter, he goes further. He puts some flesh on this. And here's the test for you. So first of all, you're going to test what they're saying. But then here's the, here's the rock-solid test for you. And to Peter, false prophets are also among you. Just as there will be false teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. There's three things here to notice about false teachers then. Okay, Remember, we're looking at their fruits. Number one, pride. Okay. They will be so proud, they will put themselves so high that they will even be prepared to deny Jesus. So the phrase was there, um, they will deny the master who bought them. What that means is, the master who bought them, Jesus bought them with his sacrifice on the cross. They will deny Jesus over letting go of their pride. Number two, sensuality. Any leader, any preacher, any teacher who actively practices sexual immorality has to set off alarm bells in our head. Okay? The last one, three, greed. If you haven't been on it, Desiring God is one of my favorite websites. Okay? Go on there, have a look at some articles. John Piper's outlined on there in a couple of them. His, his overriding theme across it is that none of us should desire being rich. It's corrupting. 
So if you see a TV evangelist or preacher who has a vast fortune, again, an alarm should go off in your head. Okay? This was from a letter from Congress. I'm not going to name any names, but it's just interesting. A letter um, from Congress in the USA. Uh, they put out a bit of an investigation into some of these TV evangelists. Just listen to these figures. This preacher, okay, a teacher, his net worth was $1.2 billion. He had a six, had, still has, a $6 million mansion um, with a landing strip out back for his two private jets. And then the most harmful thing here, his church had assets of over $20 million. That's great. Like they're, they're giving well, aren't they? But yet this church took huge loans from this evangelist to be paid back at high interest rates. Okay? The information is out there. The scripture is out there to point us towards alarm bells going if these teachers, by their fruit, are greedy, start to question about whether, you know, what perspective are they taking? Are they a servant of God? Are they a servant of Satan? Okay? Because the disguise is really good. We need to be on our guard. We really need to be on our guard. And while being supportive, we should also hold our elders accountable. Our elders and our preachers among us should not be so proud that they are put on such a high pedestal that they are untouchable, okay? And that we do what the Corinthians did. Remember there was that small bit at the end of the first passage where it said, you put up with them readily enough, okay? A quote from David Mathis then. Pastors should be with the people. Shepherds should smell like sheep because they live and walk among the sheep and are not separated from the flock. We need pastors who know themselves first and foremost as sheep, and only secondarily as leaders and teachers. Pastors who are manifestly more excited to have their names written in heaven than they are to be used as vessels in mighty ministry. So what this is saying is that, you know, preachers, teachers, leaders in this church should be really, really excited that they're saved. Foremost. The first thing. Okay? What's, it's amazing, isn't it, that we have that saviour. Jesus was the teacher. Okay? Imagine being on, I'd like to imagine, it, yeah, nice, nice rolling hills in Israel, being preached to by Jesus using perfect illustrations applicable to me as shepherd, tax collector, whoever, perfect illustrations and his miracles going to back up what he was saying that he was the way the only way to be right with God as well as him being the best teacher then we do read that he can be our own personal saviour that same pure message that Jesus preached can be ours 
what's amazing there, as well as saving us from our sin and our wrongdoing and presenting us in front of God perfect, we can also rely on him to judge those preachers and those teachers that fall into the categories that we've seen in Corinthians. Okay? Yes, you can test what they're saying. Yes, we can look at their life and their fruit. But at the end of the day, and you know, this is, this is one of the most important things here, Christ will redeem his church. Okay? We are his church, and in the end, we're going to be presented spotless before God. Okay? And I don't know if you noticed, in all of these little passages that I've read about false teachers, there is always that line in there that their judgment is coming. Okay? We are not the ones that are going to be handing out that judgment. We've got to hold them accountable. But we can trust Jesus that he will redeem his church. Okay? Challenge number three. The most important challenge. Are you trusting in Jesus for that hope? Are you trusting that Christ is the only way to be right with God? And are you a leader in any form in this church, whether it be a teacher, pastor, youth worker? Are you more excited to have your name written in heaven and to be right with God than the actual role of preaching, teaching, being in front of everyone? Because when that gets corrupted, that's when things fall down. Okay? Let me recap the bits in red here. Are you more concerned with the presentation? We've really got to listen in, haven't we? Number two, are we being stripped bare in our giving for God's word? But the one that I really want you to respond to then, are you trusting in Jesus for your hope and your salvation? Okay. Now, I'd like the band to come up, if that's okay. And I want to pray for us, and I want to pray for our leaders. I want to pray for everyone here. But I also want to pray for anyone here that doesn't know Christ. And I want you to come and talk to me. Come to the front. In fact, anyone here at the front can talk about their wonderful relationship with Jesus. And during the song, maybe you might want to meet Jesus. Maybe you might want to give your life to him. Let's pray and then uh, the band will, will lead us out with a song. Lead us out. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for your word that is inspired by you, Lord. Not just writings of um, random men through the ages who just put nice things down on paper. Lord God, this is your word. This is what you want to say to us, Lord God. Oh Lord, thank you that so many in here have given their lives to you. Thank you that you have um, saved us. And Lord God, thank you that you will redeem your church. Thank you that you are just. Lord God, thank you that we can depend on you to weed out false teachers. 
Lord God, I pray for anyone here that does not know you yet. Lord God, that they would come down to the front and talk about you. That they would give your life, give, give their life to you, Lord God. And that they would join the church here. Lord God, that that trust in you would transform their lives and go on to transform others. Yes, Lord God, thank you for this amazing word here. And thank you for that comfort that you are the Redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.